And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. That's when the crowd usually begins to cheer. The room vibrates with the thunder, right? Uh, it's what you've been waiting for. It's what you came for. It's what you spent buku bucks to see, right? The main event. Have you ever looked forward to a main event? Some people look forward to parties, don't they? <laughs> I'm not a party person, but some people do. Some people look forward to big life changes. Graduation day. Or that big date. Or the first day on the job. Or the last day on the job. <laughs> the wedding day. The baby being born. Retirement. Some look forward to election days. Who's going to take charge of all of this? Who's going to run this thing? I hope it's not that guy or that gal. Then, of course, there's the, the big sporting event, right? It, it never ceases to amaze me how excited we get about these things. Did you see how hyped up the Super Bowl was this year? Pretty hyped. In fact, it seemed like the news outlets were just weeks in advance. It was like the only thing they could, they could talk about. And all of the COVID stuff and all the politics and all the world news just seemed like it was pushed to second, third place. We got to talk about the big game coming. And grocery stores were plastered with the news. You got to buy this. You got to buy that. Don't worry about how much it costs. Street cars, you'd see them uh, just decorated for the Super Bowl. People all over the place were talking about this thing. This truly was, for at least a period of time, the main event. But um, I got to be honest with you. And some of you will probably never want to listen to me again after I say this, ever again. Uh, but full disclosure demands that I let you know that I just, I really don't get it. <laughs> I, I mean, I understand that it, it's a great thing to get together with friends. And any excuse to eat gobs and gobs of junk food for four hours straight unashamedly, that's, that's a good thing. It's nice to have a distraction from all the things that are going on in the world, all the heavy stuff, the heavy stuff we've had to deal with the past few years. Yes, I get that. I even understand that it's, it's, it's fun to cheer on your favorite team. But to go so berserk, so all-out crazy, spend so much money to jump up and down, shouting, tossing that, that bowl of popcorn or chips up in the air every time a, a good play is made, face painting, <laughs> I mean, there comes a point where you, you've gone too far. <laughs> My big question every time uh, a Super Bowl or some other big game uh, comes up is, why should I care? And really, why should I care? I, I don't know these people. I don't know them. Whether or not a team wins or loses really doesn't have all that much impact on my life. I don't get anything based on the outcome because I'm not gambling over this thing. And Ram's house? That's not my house. Like, I, I don't care. I just don't care. In my mind, it's something that I really don't have any reason to get excited about. And it's not that I don't want to care. I, I'd like to care. The trouble is, I just don't. I just don't. And that might sound pretty bad, uh, but when you think about it, it's not all that different from the way a lot of people look at what we do right here in this room. What's in it for me? 
Why should I care? I've got better things to do with my time, and I've got things that, uh, quite frankly, I'm more excited about than this stuff. And if population has anything to say, well, I, I think it says that I'm not alone. But here's the thing. When we talk about what we talk about here, it's not on the same playing field with any game or any movie or any TV show or any uh, life event for that matter or anything else. Not by a long shot. It's not even close. And, and Peter wants us to understand that if it, there is anything in all of human history that should be considered the main event, it's this thing. It's what the Bible refers to as salvation. Would you look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1? We're still in chapter 1, and this morning we are in verse 10. We've really made some headway here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, would you stand with me as we read from God's word this morning? Peter writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. To people who were on the run... People who had lost their homes, lost their jobs, lost friends, some who were about to lose their lives. Peter wants them to know that this thing that they have found in Jesus Christ is like nothing else that has ever been or ever will be. They had, they've seen the billboards, they've heard the news, they responded by admitting that they're sinners in need of a Savior. They've acknowledged that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and they've trusted in him as their one and only hope. Now Peter wants them to see that this is not just a good thing. This is not just a great thing. This is the thing. The thing. This is the big show. This is the performance extraordinaire. This is the center point of all of history. Everything depends on it. Anybody who's anybody is fascinated by it. This is the main event. Who cares about this salvation that Peter is talking about? Peter wants us to see that this is something that not just a handful of people for a short period of time cared about. No. No. From long ago to people even today, to beings whose realm is beyond this world, this event is the show. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've been watching on the edge of their seats. And, and yes, tossing up that big bowl of popcorn or chips when the big play was finally made. Who cares about this event? 
Well, the prophets cared. The prophets, Peter says. They were, they were not simply uh, wise men. They weren't uh, magicians. They were not soothsayers or fortune tellers. They were people whom God chose to speak through to his people. They were the ambassadors who would, would take his message public. In Hosea 12.10, God says, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. Uh, Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Peter tells us that one of the things that God spoke to them and they in turn proclaimed to their listeners was concerning his grace. And when we say grace, we're not talking about elegance here. We're not talking about poise. We're not talking about the way he is able to kind of float around the room gracefully with fluidity. No, this, his grace is this incredible gift that he offered to people who don't deserve it. It was the reality that people who had turned against him, who had rejected his authority in their lives, who had gone their own way and did their own thing, that they might not get what they deserve for that. To be separated from him and all that is good for all eternity, but instead to be forgiven to be restored to right relationship with him, their creator, and have the promise of eternal life with him in a place that he designed for them. Maybe you've heard that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A lot of people like to sing that. That surprises me. That's the kind of grace that we're talking about here. That's the kind of grace. That is salvation grace. You know, it would be an act of grace for me to uh, buy you a cup of coffee, a nice cup. Wow, that is a nice cup of coffee. That would be an act of grace. It would be an act of grace for you to give a person in need 10 bucks to go uh, get some, some food, go grab some food. It would be an act of grace to bail somebody out of jail. Boy, that would be a big act of grace, those Bail bonds can be expensive. It is salvation grace to, for God to forgive guilty sinners and save them from the punishment that they deserve. Salvation grace. Where was that salvation grace? Peter says, they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. It was a grace that was, that was coming Right? That's what we, we get here. All the way back in Genesis 3, God began dropping hints that his special grace was coming. He made it clear, even clearer in his promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the people of Israel, they knew that there was a day that was coming in which God's grace was going to be experienced. The special outpouring of his grace. And that grace was going to spread from them and pour out on all the peoples of the earth, regardless of their tribe. It was coming. It was coming. 
But it's important for us to realize that that doesn't mean that God's grace didn't already exist all the way back before Jesus in the Old Testament. Some people like to think that the God of the New Testament is different from the God of the Old Testament, that the one we have now, well, he's loving, he's gracious, he's easygoing. <laughs> the one that, that was before, wow, he was, uh, he was uptight, he was merciless, he was cruel, good cop, bad cop. You know, that's what Marcion of Sinope uh, taught in about 144 A.D. You all know it, Marcion, right? Marcionism. Of course you do. Good-looking guy. Uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. Not what the Bible teaches. God is, at one and the same time, the epitome of justice and love. All over the Old Testament, we see that God is a gracious God. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 116. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's a gracious God. He always has been. It was God's grace that brought Noah and his family through the flood. It was God's grace that was put on display even when he gave Moses the law. You see that he set this in place for their good and so that they might be, uh, bring good and deal good with each other. Exodus twenty two twenty six. If you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Okay? For that is his covering and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I'm compassionate. <laughs> you know, the major reason that Jonah took issue with God and ran was because he was not happy that God was going to show grace. Grace to those people, those Ninevites? You want me to go to them and tell them, get your act together, turn around, turn back to God, and if you do, he's going to spare you, he's going to show you his grace. I don't want to do that. God, I don't want you to be gracious. I want you to be just. <sighs> Salvation grace. It's an Old Testament thing. Psalm 3.8 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. 
and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Oh, that's good. You know, I think there are a lot of people today, even today, who, who look at their lives and they've, they've, gone, they've, chose, they've made some choices in life and they've gone down a path. And I think for some, we feel like we've gotten to such a point of no return that we've amassed such a, such a huge pile of debt and such, such baggage. We've done so many, many things that we know we shouldn't have done. How could I ever be forgiven? Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. My friends, there is no too far. There is no too far. I think of when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and you think of that man that was hanging beside him, a man who was probably an insurrectionist, probably had quite a record. And at the last moment, when he's able to do nothing, no good for, for Jesus. He says, just, would, would, would you remember me? And right there, he experiences salvation grace. Just as it is today, salvation of the Old Testament was attained by one thing. One thing alone. Not by merit. Not by works. By faith. In Genesis 15, 6, we read, Abraham believed the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to him as righteousness. All he did was believe. In Romans 4, Paul makes it clear that it was by faith alone that brought justification, deliverance from, from guilt and the penalty of sin. Abraham was saved by faith, Paul points out. The same God that relayed his words to the prophets to disperse the people back in the Old Testament is the same God that you and I can trust and rely on today. And the same grace that we're talking about, that Peter's talking about to these suffering people is the same grace that they had back before Jesus even came. And that's where someone says, wait a second, what? <laughs> How can you say that? Pastor, how can you say that when you're saying that the prophets were talking about a grace that was coming? And are you saying that Jesus really doesn't matter? That they already had God's grace before Jesus even came? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to die for the forgiveness for our sins, for the, the sins of the people? If they had already if they were already able to experience his saving grace before he even showed up? It's a great question. Simple and short answer is, just as we can look back on the cross as being necessary, the necessary sacrifice for our rebellion against God to be forgiven, for our debt to be paid, those who lived before They looked forward to it. Just as we access salvation grace by trusting, by having faith in Jesus, they trusted that somehow, in some way, God would make provision for their salvation. It was coming. He promised it. It's coming. I don't know what it looks like, but it's coming. 
And that's what the prophets were so fixated on. That's what they wanted to know more about. That's why they couldn't, get en- they couldn't get enough of it. God was revealing to them some of the details of what this salvation meant and, and, and looked like. And as it was revealed to them, they were not just like, oh, yeah, here's another message. I'm just the messenger. Here you go, people. And then they go off about their business. No, they were studying it. They were inquiring of it. It says they searched and inquired carefully, Peter writes in verse 10, all the things that God was revealing to them that they might understand it better. This was the main event. And so they were finding out new things. They knew that there was coming a day when the salvation grace was going to be open, not just to Israel, but to everyone. Isaiah recorded God saying, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. They knew that the salvation that was going to come through a, a, a Messiah, someone who was anointed by God. The prophet Micah wrote this, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephathrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruled in, ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. They knew something about this Messiah. They knew that this Messiah was going to suffer, that he was going to suffer for the sins of the whole world. And we see that in Psalm 22. We see it in Isaiah 53. Surely he's borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. They, they knew something. They knew that even though he was going to suffer, that he was going to be victorious. Psalm 2.6, God says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And they knew this Messiah would save. Isaiah 61 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn. What an amazing day it is when war ceases. Peace treaties are signed. We've seen the pictures. Some of us, some of us lived through experiences like that. The experiences of VE Day, VJ Day, 1945. We've seen the pictures of, of those who were hugging and kissing. The people just crowding the streets, waving flags, celebrating. Finally, finally, we have peace. 
And we're beginning to feel it right now, aren't we? Our, uh, the longing, the longing for the day when our fellow image bearers in Eastern Europe will experience something like that. What an event that will be. The prophets watching, waiting, investigating, all in hope of knowing more about the big day, the big event, the main event. Just as we want to know the details of what is going on in Ukraine, they wanted to know. They wanted to know who is this person that's going to make it happen. They wanted to know when. When is it? Who cares? The prophets cared. Do you? Peter tells us that the beyond, beyond the prophets, the Holy Spirit cared. He's the one who's behind all of this. He's the one who has been revealing to the prophets. He inspired them. He superintended them. He oversaw and ensured that the prophets only wrote or spoke what God wanted them to say. Now, we've put together a few events here at church. Some have been uh, okay. Uh, and maybe you have planned an event or two, organized a party, organized a wedding in your life. You, you, you know what uh, goes into all the details, <laughs> especially a wedding, right? And isn't, weddings just seem to be the thing that, that brings mothers and daughters together, you know, as they just love to discuss these details. <sighs> and they agree on everything, don't they? They, it's just beautiful. It's amazing to me how this, how this works. No, you've poured over the details. And, and when it comes to planning events, I always underestimate how, how much work it's going to take. And, and I think Melissa, my wife, gets frustrated at me for this because I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, half an hour, half an hour, we got this. Oh, just, just order this or order that. We'll, you know, we'll put it together. It doesn't work like that. It takes a lot of effort to make these things happen. And here at 1 Peter 1, we see that it's God's spirit himself that is behind this big event. He's the one who has made the preparations. He's the one who has sent out the invitations. He's the one who puts up the billboards so that everyone has their attention grabbed. He's marketed God's salvation plan even before it was fully realized. And even now, his main work is to open our eyes to the good news. Peter says, verse 11, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Even though Jesus wasn't yet born, <laughs> nonetheless, he existed. He's the eternal living word the second person in the Trinity, and he has always been there. And that's why Peter can describe this spirit as the spirit of Christ. Just as much as the spirit is, the, the, is, is, is God, the Father's spirit, he also is Christ's spirit because there is unity in the Trinity. They are of the same essence. So we understand Christ's spirit, when Peter talks about it here, is the same Holy Spirit. They're one and the same. And what does the Holy Spirit indicate to the prophets? Well, he tells them of the sufferings that are coming of Jesus. He tells them of the glories that are coming of Christ. That's what the Spirit's number one job is. 
It's to draw attention and make known the person and work of Jesus. I think that's one of the reasons, very often, the Holy Spirit is, people go, well, you know, we don't talk about the Spirit enough in our church. Well, of course we don't talk about the Spirit, because the Spirit is constantly telling us to talk about Christ. He's pointing us to Jesus. Do you see Jesus? And if you have a church that is so in love and in awe of Jesus, guarantee you, you've got the Spirit working in that church. That's what he's doing right now. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And Jesus said, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. We point to all sorts of things that we think are important, don't we? <sighs> Maybe right now we're pointing each other to the things that are going on in Ukraine. Maybe that's the buzz that was, was out there earlier, I don't know. Maybe you, you spoke to your friends and family about the Super Bowl when it was coming up. It's okay. It's okay. We can still be friends. <laughs> Not long ago, we are constantly pointing each other to the news about this COVID thing, whatever that was. Before we were talking about our favorite restaurants or our TV shows or whatever it was that we were into, we don't expect everyone to listen to us, do we? No, not everyone, but, but certainly friends and family, people who we consider close to us. We think that they should listen a little bit. We hope that they do. Some of us make them listen, <laughs> and we all enjoy listening. We may not be important to everyone, but there are some people who might look at us and say, well, you know, their opinion is significant. Now realize this. If there is a God, then there is no one. There is nothing in all of existence that is more in the know or significant than he and this God wants you to know, wants everyone to know that more than anything else, this salvation event, this salvation grace, he wants you to know about the work of Jesus Christ. How big does that make this event? There's nothing bigger. Nothing bigger. This is the main event. How could we fail to get that? The prophets cared. God cares. Peter lets us know the apostles cared. Look at verse 12 again. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, that is, the prophets, in these things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Peter is talking about, well, for one, he's talking about himself. He's one of those who had preached to them. He's also talking about a whole list of other followers of Jesus, those who came right behind Jesus proclaiming that same message. Guys like Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Philip, James, Jude, Stephen, and others. These people were enabled by that same spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to get the word of this salvation out. Paul wrote, and I... 
when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. They were very accustomed to that, by the way, living in that society. That was the entertainment of the day, traveling uh, uh, itinerant um, wise men going around, getting up in the public square. Let me tell you my wisdom. And everyone went, whoa, whoa, whoa. chomping down their popcorn or their uh, flatbread or whatever it was. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. <laughs> and I was with you in weakness and in fear with much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and a power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of, of men, but in the power of God. The power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. That's what we're talking about here. This isn't some lame, temporary, insignificant thing that we're talking about here. It's not the Super Bowl. It's not the TV shows. This is the main event. God's spirit himself powers this message. We had a president a while back who liked to uh, use that word huge. My friends, there's nothing more huge than this salvation grace. The prophets cared, God's spirit cared, the apostles, they lived and died preaching it because they cared. One final group to mention here, and this one really blows my mind. The angels in heaven care. Verse 12 it ends telling us the details of this salvation grace, of Christ's work, of this main event, are things into which angels long to look. Think about that. Of all the wondrous things that they must behold on the other side, salvation is the thing that fascinates them the most. <laughs> that word long there, it's all about having this kind of insatiable desire and an unstoppable urge that is just not easily satisfied. And we might say, you know what, I'm dying to know. I'm dying to know what it's, what it's going to be like. And so we're shaking the Christmas presents, trying to figure out what they are. Of course, these angels aren't dying but they're certainly on the edge of their seats, according to Peter. They're completely preoccupied, constantly binge-watching, constantly talking about this salvation grace that is playing out right before their eyes. One pastor wrote, angels wonder what it is like to experience the grace and the glory of salvation and God's forgiveness from sin. They're wondering what it's like to be us. This whole thing is unfolding, that's unfolding right here, right now, even in this room. You and I are in the process of living this thing out, and it's totally captivating to them. They're thinking, who's God going to draw to himself next? <laughs> that guy? That girl? Are you kidding me? Did you see? Did you see? Scene two, and what happened in that guy's life, no way is God going to save that guy. 
Did you see the impossible circumstances they're in? The life is overwhelmed with the horrors, all the horrors that the life can give. If anything, they're going to point their finger to God and say, no way, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And God's going to save him or her? (sighs) Maybe they're saying, how long? How long is he going to put up with this? Look what's going on down there. Can you believe it? Man, he is patient. Way more than I would be. He really wants these people in his family? Really? How many more? How much longer can he hold out? How much longer is he going to wait? Did you see what's happening down there in North Orange County? Look at that group of, that group of misfits down there. Wow. God brought them together? Look at how he's using them. Look at what he's doing through them. Look at how it's certainly not a perfect situation, no, but, but you see those glimpses of them actually living out Christ's likeness and being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Wow, God is good. No, no limits to the salvation grace. It's incredible. And this, of course, leads them to shout with all their might. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Do you see it? (laughs) This is it. This is the main event. There is nothing bigger, nothing more spectacular, nothing in all of history that is more significant than this. Who cares? <laughs> Anyone who, whom God has brought in the know cares. And how very important it was for Christians who were scattered and suffering to know. Though they were enduring the beginnings of horrific loss and persecution, Peter wanted them to know. He wanted them to make sure that they understood that what they were a part of was the biggest thing ever. It's what it's all about. It's the main event. Do you realize that? As you go through the frustrations and setbacks of everyday life, do you realize that? As you hear the news that prices are going up, And things are getting higher and harder. Do you realize that? As you find out that the time that you thought you had here on earth is going to be cut short. As you discover that friends and maybe family members don't think as well of you as you thought they did. In fact, they downright don't like you now. As you come to grips with the fact that A lot of those dreams and expectations that you had for your life just aren't going to be met. As you realize that uh, the Disney life is really, really and truly just a world of (laughs) make-believe. As you press on day after day, week after week, year after year, striving, struggling, persevering. Are your eyes open to the fact that the main event, this, this life 
is really all about the gift of God made free through Jesus Christ. If you've already embraced that free gift, that salvation, grace, don't lose sight of the fact that this is the biggest thing in all of history. Don't lose sight of that. Don't let the cares and concerns, the ups and downs, the successes and struggles of this life pull you away from being in absolute awe of God, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, even right now, in you and through you. And if you have not yet embraced the free gift of Jesus Christ, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from going all in on this life-changing, worldview-altering, eternity-defining grace? Would you even right now just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've waited too long, but here I am. This isn't the Super Bowl. It's not the next presidential election. Not the, big, not the next big TV show, big movie, party, miracle pill, investment opportunity. This is the main event. Father, we thank you for, <laughs> thank you for you, thank you for Jesus, thank you for the center point of all of human history. Many looked forward, we look back, all of us trust and experience salvation, grace through faith. Thank you, Lord, for this main event. God, it's so easy for us to get sidetracked, to let the concerns of our lives lead us to think that other things are bigger, more important. Let the problems that we experience overshadow <laughs> the majesty of the work that you have accomplished. Lord, may today and tomorrow and each day following, Lord, may we be ever aware of the awesomeness of the work you've accomplished through Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts, even in this moment, to, to celebrate communion together through these little prepackaged communion elements that feel so <laughs> prepackaged, and insignificant. And yet, Lord, what we're, what we're doing right here as people who have trusted in you, Lord, is such a sacred thing. Nothing magical, Lord, but certainly, certainly encouraging to our hearts. A concrete reminder that yes, our trust is in the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was given freely for us that our relationship with you might be changed forever. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts. Would you use this time to encourage our souls, 
fill us with joy overflowing for you. In Christ's name, amen.